Hi, this is Kaylin Smith, writer and artist of Plume Comic, and you are listening to Top 5 Comics Podcast. Welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast, people talking about comics, pop culture, and events. With us today, we have the Dobby Whisperer, Josh45. What's up? And we have the Master of the Mentors. Dementors, because you're so angry and you hate happiness. <laughs> CBS. I mean, that's not totally true. I mean, you only sometimes hate it. You always hate it. And Robin looks very Dobby-like, so. Yeah, the groomer, like, really just went to town on his ears this time. Yeah, oh, yeah. Handsome. Something. All right, let's see what today we're doing episode number 124. We're going to be going over, uh... The War of the Realms, New Agents of Atlas, number one. Usagi Jumbo, Usagi Jumbo, Usagi Jimbo, Jimbo, number one from the uh, new Im- new imprint that's under IEW. Uh, Thumbs number one from Image, and then Lady Mechanica, uh, Sangre, Sang- Sangri, number one, and Naomi number four from DC Comics. And the uh, Lady Mechanica, that's from uh, Benita's Productions, which is Joe Benita's book company. That's pretty much it for books. Oh, and we're going to have an interview at the end of uh, the, the episode with uh, Jorge Corona. He's the uh, artist over on Middle West, also coming out from uh, Image Comics, this Scott Young's book that he's doing right now. Great. If you get a chance to check it out, you really should, because it's fantastic. And that was at the uh, Denver Pop Culture Con. The 2019, so first year of them being in the pop culture con. So that's good times. They have a few other interviews from that show that we'll try to run with the next batch of episodes, you know. From there, I guess we just move into the news, right? Yeah. Chad, you know anything about the news? A little bit. Um, you probably have some of these things as well, so... Make sure we don't overlap, but uh, DC is going to officially retire Vertigo and bring everything under one big banner that's more recognizable. Yeah, it seems like what they're doing is they're. So it's not like it's not going to have one banner though. That's the thing that's questionable to me because like they're ending Vertigo, they're killing DC Zoom, DC Inc., which are both newer imprints that haven't had hardly anything come out for them, and then we're going to wind up having three different. So there'll be DC Kids. DC, just normal DC, I guess, and then DC Black Label. So I guess they all have DC as the proper listing for them, but I thought they kind of had that before. So Zoom and Inc. will both wrap up, and I guess anything that's going on currently is just going to come underneath neath the new imprints. So I, more teardrop style. So like DC Kids is supposed to be for like 8 to 12s, and then normal DC would be 13 and up, so that's what pretty much everybody, well, most people read. And then 17 plus is supposed to be black label. So kind of a big deal just because Vertigo's been a staple since like 93 when they first started it. And it was like for edgier stuff. So now we have black label, which is kind of taking the, I mean, is already kind of taking the place of that, even though black label is dealing with like normal characters and like most characters have been in it so far, like Superman and Batman. They're the only black label books that have come out. I mean, Batman Damned. Superman All-Star just... No, not All-Star. Superman Year One just started, the Frank Miller Superman. And we have Superman Last Night on Earth, which is Scott Snyder. 
but it seems like pretty much all those titles so far have been like normal DC characters. Whereas Vertigo had a whole slew of other characters that weren't in normal DC, so... I thought it was Batman Last Night on Earth. Oh, maybe that's what it is. Mm. I don't remember how the title goes. Oh. It's whatever the new Scott Snyder one is, which last, yeah, Last Night on Earth, that's right. They adopted the White Knight, the, the Sean Gordon Murphy one, and they made it part of Black Label 2, even though it was more like an Elseworlds story, so... It technically now falls under Black Label as well. Well... Vertigo is kind of like for years it was just not even part of the DC continuity really. I mean it was but it wasn't and then all of a sudden like pe- different people like uh, Grant Morrison when he was writing JLA and things like that would every once in a while bring in characters from the Vertigo line to Well yeah like wait. John Constantine crossed over a little bit. I mean uh, more... da- Daniel did. Uh, like oh, well, yeah, Sandman. Sandman. Which they're saying like Sandman and stuff is still, still going to keep going. They're just going to change where it's placed, I guess. Like, so the logos will change on the books, and that's basically it. Because we still have the Sandman universe going. Um, it's four miniseries, so instead of it saying Sandman, I guess now I'll just say DC, I guess. And they said that uh, they're going to keep doing, like... So Jim Lee, he said that they they will also be continuing to do uh, publisher-creator-owned projects that is evaluate and assign them where they go, I guess, based on their level of whatever's in them. So I I guess we'll see what that really means. I mean, that's not going to be till 2020, so there's still some time to finish out these series, but if they're still going to keep doing prop-up imprints, which it kind of sounds like they are, it, the only thing really changing is we're getting rid of Vertigo. I mean, Zoom, yeah, it's had a few books, but not many. And Ink is the same thing. And what's the one that um, Justice or Young Justice is under, though? So yeah, that's a totally different thing. Like, and that's I don't. A, that's just that's just another one. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly where that's supposed to fall out because that's kind of, it's not really Brian Michael Bendis's own. Like he has his own imprint called Jinx World, and so Jinx World, I guess, will just keep going. It's kind of like Marvel's icon. So, uh-huh. I, wh- I don't think that one will change only because it's primarily him and he's he's the guy running it. It's his stories and just different artists. But the uh, Wonder Comics. I felt like that was just a branding and not necessarily uh, an actual separate universe, you know? Because the characters in there, I mean, like, Young Justice is in there, Wonder Twins, um, and those books all seem to be happening in primary continuity also, so I don't feel like they're outside the universe by any means. So I'm not really sure if that'll stay or not. I mean, that's a good question, because it's a pretty new thing in general, and how it's going to play in the rest of it. It's Wonder. It's DC Wonder Comics. Yeah. So I think it's going to go. I I don't think it's. I think it's going to be just three different. Which I mean, being those stories seem like they fit anyway. They'll just be under regular DC banner. Why they made them a different banner at all? I don't totally understand. I mean, because it's the multiverse. I mean, I guess all that stuff is happening in the same universe. Best we can tell. I mean, the Wonder Twin stuff is definitely more cheeky, and it could, I guess, be its own universe. I guess. But nothing's happened in it to make it seem like it doesn't fit, so it's not like something's major different there. Yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll see. I mean, as far as the thing in general, it just sounds like they want to do with with the Vertigo imprint, so this is the easiest way to do it. 
I don't know if it's that they wanted to specifically get rid of Vertigo. I think they just wanted to. I think they wanted to bring everything under and like consolidate. Just do like a DC zero out publishing zero hour, so to speak, yeah. or Crisis yeah. on Infinity Earths. Just bring everything under three different things and make it more simple because people are, I think, kind of confused because there's 50 different things going on. So, yeah, maybe. I guess we'll see where it all shakes out. I mean, Young Justice wasn't listed as being like a miniseries. Wonder Twins is. And Naomi, I believe, is. But I don't think the uh, Young Justice was ever set up that way. I mean, ultimately, the, what they said with the imprints was if the books were going on, like currently going, they just change the branding on them. So logo change, and then we move forward. But I think they just that's what the article said, is that they want the logo to be like universally the same across everything. So it's people will get less confused and wonder what's going on. I guess we'll see. I mean, as I find it unlikely, DC Kids won't have... It'll just have a normal DC logo? I mean, I don't think that'll be... I think it'll probably say DC Kids. I'll probably say DC with the logo, then the kids written underneath it. Oh, I get it. Hmm. Yeah, I guess I can see that. And DC Kids is probably going to include, like, you know, Teen Titans Go type things, like, to where they're not really involved with continuity at all. Right. Well, I, don't, I don't think an eight-year-old really cares much about continuity. Well, no, in general... I mean, well, maybe they do. I did, but... Well, and like one of the uh, kid-style books we saw them announce finally, they've got another uh, book coming out from uh, the guys that did Little Little Gotham. They're going to be doing a Batman Return... Oh, hang on, what's the title of it? Uh, Batman Tells, and it's Once Upon a Crime. So at some point this year, that's supposed to start happening. Which that should be really cool. That's Derek Friedhoff's and Dustin Nguyen. And like the young Go- little Gotham stuff was great. It was never continuity based, but I don't think it needs to be for what it is. But they've been promising us a book for the two of them for a while, and that thing was awesome. So whatever this Once Upon a Crime seems like it'll be really cool. Well, on, on that same vein, uh, Young Justice's trip through the multiverse, if you haven't read the newest issue, like they, it ends with them getting shot into the multiverse, so they're not, they're just banished from the normal plane of existence, I guess, so, but it looks like they're gonna be kind of, uh, what was that book? The Exiles? Through on, on, uh, uh, yeah, on Marvels. Marvels, and it looks like they're gonna be kind of like an exile style book where they're gonna be hopping dimensions, cause, um, two things that have been teased that they will run into and be a part of is Captain Carrot and the Amazing Zoo Crew and also the Kingdom Come Universe, which will be kind of cool. So Yeah, I guess Bendis is putting out random pictures of like Kingdom Come characters with the Young Justice characters. And, the so, Cap- and Cap- Captain Carrot and the Amazing Zoo Crew as well. Right. So that should be pretty cool. Another thing, they, uh, well, I, mean, I guess it's an announcement. They announced a Harley Quinn Joker Black Label book going to come out. And it's, uh, let's see, where was the title at? I have it here somewhere. There we go. So Harley, uh, so it's Joker slash Harley, criminal sanity. And like the write-up for it makes it sound like, it's almost like Harley's working for Gotham PD as like a crime analyst. And like a Dangerous Minds TV show meets Gotham, I guess. Uh, it's supposed to be nine issues. Uh, people working on it, we're gonna have, uh, Kiami Garcia, who's writing it, and she did, uh, like, Beautiful Creatures and X-Files stuff, and artist-wise, Mike Mayhew's the one listed first, and he did a bunch of Star Wars stuff, so nothing else in the book will look cool, but it's a nine-part series where everything else they've done from Black Label so far 
have all been three parts. Now, granted, they are bigger books, but titling-wise, nothing else has exceeded three, so I guess we'll see how it goes. But that one's supposed to come out sometime this year, I guess. They haven't solicited it yet because we haven't seen it in the Diamond catalogs, but as a thing, it could show up next month or maybe August. It's actually kind of cool. Um, they also announced um, a Super Sons um, reunion, I guess you'd call it. Like Damien's going to show up in the Superman book and team those back two back together, even with uh, John's growth spurt that he went through in space. So, oh, cool. Which again, I still think is stupid that they did that because of Connor Kent's back. Like, and they're, it makes him look almost the same age. It's kind of dumb to me. Like they should have kept John Young, I think, but. Whatever. You know, if they're going to have Young Justice out running around doing it, like, universe jumping style, maybe we won't see any of those in the regular continuity for a while. Yeah, maybe. But yeah, it is still pretty questionable. The whole age jump thing is weird. I don't, don't know if I like that or not. Yeah. Um, there's some stuff they announced on the Marvel side of things, too. Um, so but there's going to be a new Spider-Man miniseries. It's going to be J.J. Abrams writing it, and his son Harry Abrams are the uh, two toted to write the series. Uh, they're saying the artist doing it is going to be Sarah Pacelli and uh, Dave Stewart. So, good artists. As far as the miniseries is concerned, uh, interesting is I don't know if, has, I don't know if JJ's ever written anything comic book-wise or not. So, like, that's interesting. I think it could be kind of cool. Um, there's an interesting photo that was released of... Apocalypse, and it looks like Moira McTaggart. Oh like, yeah, yeah. Kissing on some something to happen on um, the book Powers of X. So it seems like that might be kind of weird, which I think is super kind of creepy weird. Like it doesn't make a lot of sense because Apocalypse is this big like behemoth, behemoth like robot, like God-looking weird thing. Right. It's probably very asexual, and all of a sudden he's like, oh, this weird woman who used to date Charles <laughs> Xavier and Banshee. Like, well, now maybe I'll just like make out with her. Like, mm. It is really weird. And, like, Mara, up to this point, I don't think she's had any type of mutant powers. So, like, there's there's that. Like, as a thing, best I can remember, she hasn't. And she's had the two kids, and the two kids, of course, that's a different thing. Maybe that's where we get David from, so... Yeah, it, interesting, weird a little bit, yeah. We're going to have those two books come out by Jonathan Hickman. Uh, the One is Power of X, which is the one you're talking about, and then House of X is going to be running right next to it. And whatever happens in there is supposed to shape whatever they're doing with the X-Men universe, I guess, f- for the next few years or something. So, like, it's totally, like, a pretty big deal, and he's a really good writer, so, like, as far as setup and building worlds are concerned, yeah, he's awesome. And uh, the only th- only last thing that I wanted to say was that today, not necessarily when people listen to this, but the day that we're recording this is the 30th anniversary of the original Batman uh, movie with Michael Keaton. Oh, yeah. Came out today, 30 years ago, and it's the best Batman movie by far, so there you go. <laughs> there was one other thing that's coming out that's Spider-Man related that's... Uh kind of a big deal only because of who's doing it. So we're going to have a one-shot issue come out that's called uh, Going Big Number One, which is Eric Larson, which he hasn't worked for Marvel, I don't know, 
in a while, and he took over Spider-Man like right after McFarlane did. So as far as names, I mean, he's a pretty big name over in the image scene. So that'll be kind of cool. I mean, it's a it's neat. It's a one shot. So it's a forty page like annual style, but that should be pretty cool. Oh yeah, Doctor Strange will be canceled at issue twenty. Oh yeah, I saw that. Huh, that's about it. That's all I really really had. So onto the books, I suppose. What you say you wanted to start with today? You want to start with the Marvel? Yeah, we're going to start with the uh, New Agents of Atlas number one, and this is the War of Realms New Agents of Atlas. So the uh, five-part miniseries just wrapped up during a uh, War of Realms, and like setup-wise, this book's kind of is, is a big book only because there's so many character first appearances. We have four new character first appearances in this book, and like I guess two of them really debuted in the the online the the app for your phone, the Marvel app game, which I don't I don't know what it's called. Rob plays it. I. I haven't, but there's a lot of people that do, and I, I guess that's where she showed up first. So, like, this book, we get a new character named Wave, who's, like, water manipulation powers. A new character named Luna Snow, who's a K-pop, K-pop crime fighter, and she basically has ice powers. Um, we get Crescent and Io, which Crescent is a, a girl that basically wound up getting a mask that had a bear spirit trapped inside of it, or imprisoned inside of it, and when she wears it, she's able to control him. That's what Io is, is the bear spirit. So it's basically a girl with a giant, like, ghost bear that can mess stuff up. It's interesting, like, concepts, but, like, all four of those characters' first comic book appearance is in the same issue. So, like, it's just jam-packed with, like, first appearance stuff. So if any of those characters go on, I mean, it should be a pretty chase-worthy book. Um, anyway, the first issue is written by Greg Pak, uh, he's drawn by, and I'm going to butcher this because I don't know how to say it, uh, Gang Hrukenlin. So last name is spelled H-Y-U, sorry, H-Y-V-K-L-I-M, and there's a small separation in there. So sorry about that, I don't know how to say that name. Anyhow, uh, so the book basically opens up and we've got Wave, who's out of the ocean. She's sent some type of tremor out there, and so she's gone out to investigate it. At the same time, we have uh, another character named Aro. Uh, it's A-E-R-O, and she's got similar powers, but is a different from a different country. And she's out there investigating already too. But this particular disturbance happens like where the borders between their countries' lines lie, and it's a very big deal not to be in each other's country for this particular two sex. Anyhow, whatever's what's going on in the waters, we basically have a a giant uh, like island rising. And between the two of them using their powers without really working with each other, they kind of cause it to come above the surface and the things connected to it, um, these fire entities, kind of knock both of them out. And that's where we cut away. So we don't see a whole lot of what's actually on the island. But the whole reason why it came up to the surface is because the two of them not working together basically caused it to rise. So, uh, weird. Um... From there, we jump to a presentation happening that's being done by basically the challengers. Um, so what's going on is Jimmy Wu, who's the leader of the Agents of Atlas, he's gotten hold of a batch of the challengers to come to a demonstration at a college out overseas. And so we have Braun, who was totally awesome Hulk. Uh, prior to that, was just a modest Cho. Silk and uh, Kamala Khan, so Miss Marvel, 
all they're trying to basically show off, oh, and along with the Shang-Chi, too. All they're doing this demo of how to work together and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, partway through the, the whole thing, Amadis and Kamala have been struggling for power over the champions, like who's going to be the leader. And during this whole mix-up with this robot, the, the demo, you see the two of them are still having problems with who's in charge there. Anyway, we cut away from that, we basically have him having a dinner, and Jimmy Woo tells him he's trying to get the Agents of Atlas back together, and he's looking to audition them to be members of his team. And about that time is when we have everything go crazy in New York for War of Realms. So War Realms 1, basically we have a portal open up, and Malkit the Dark Elf shows up and starts causing problems. It's a pretty big event, so and if you're not reading that, like War of Realms is great. Anyhow, um, so while that's happening, we have a very similar thing start in the in the city, and Kamala Khan's like, "Well, someone has to go back to deal with the challengers," and Jimmy was like, "Someone's got to stay here and help us." So he basically sent Kamala back, and Jimmy elects to keep Braun and run forward. Well, from there is where we we wind up seeing a bunch of these fire demons, like basically climbing through the town and just messing stuff up. And so out of nowhere is when we first get the first appearance of Crescent and Io who show up to basically save the city, along with uh, Luna Snow. And, like, Luna, people that are normal, people see her, and she's like a... I mean, she's supposed to be a pop icon over there, so like a Miley Cyrus, except not as crazy, I guess. So everyone sees her and is like, oh, wow, it's Luna Snow, ooh. Well, she also has ice manipulation, and so she's fighting these fire things and doing really good because her power is basically built to fight them. Anyway, partway through the battle, we, we have the uh, the Fire Beasts kind of start taking the upper hand, and that's whenever our new agents of Atlas, so like Braun and Kamala, or sorry, Braun and uh, Shang-Chi show up. And prior to this, over in the Champions book, we had a point where Braun lost control, and for a minute he hulked out like normal Hulk style, and was kind of trying to take over the city. And of course that got spread around the world, so these people see him and they automatically freak out because they assume he's there with the Fire People. Which does not go so well for him with the new heroes who don't know that he's not this out-of-control thing anymore. It results in a bunch of misconfusion and miscommunication that causes more of the problem to uh, kind of take over. Then from there we cut back to the island where we had a uh, where we had Wave and an Aurora both wake up and they are met with another character. Uh, we're going to keep as a mystery so you can get the when you get the book there's a surprise. And this person's not real happy about the fire people either. So, like, setup-wise, it's basically dealing with the invasion from War of Realms happening overseas. But as far as, like, a story, I mean, it's, it's an interesting story. It's a short read. They're going to be doing another, like, a regular series for them. I want to say starting, I think, September. So it'll be interesting to see, like, who shakes out as part of that, because half the cast in here are people that are still connected to the champions. So... It's hard to say whether they're going to be real reallocated to the other book or not. Uh, as far as art, art's great. I mean, it looks cool. It's got a neat American manga hybrid to it, which makes sense for the style of characters it is. Um, it's on a lot of people's, like, watch books because of the four first appearances. Because that doesn't happen normally. I mean, book-wise, especially in Marvel, you don't usually get that many new characters that show up in one issue. So that's why it's a big watch thing for people if you're a speculator for books. Anyhow, as far as the score, I give it a three and a half. I mean, the story is interesting enough. As far as characters, I like Amadis Cho. I like Kamala Khan. These new characters, they seem cool. I mean, that Luna Snow, I think, is awesome. And the giant 
like Ghost Bear, great. As far as where it's going to go from there, I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, like I said, it's the first issue, first appearances, so I guess we'll see. Anyway, I give it a three and a half. Um, Josh, you have a score for that book? It's kind of all over the place. Um, they're like, they're, um, they take on basically like subterranean, um, magical threats. Like there was like the gorilla guy, the robot. There's all these, like the only goo that was really Asian was the later. Are you talking about the original Agents of Atlas or uh-huh. this current group? Well, this group in this book isn't going to be the one that's going to be in the book that starts in a few months either. No, this this so, group versus what the original group was are two different things. Because I read that like they had a re like a, a, a like a restart of this series a few, a few years back too. Mm-hmm. So it's like and they they went, did, and that's the one that had the monkey in it. Yeah, it went off and on, but like that was like part of the original crew. So I think that those some of those characters are going to be part of that. It'd be cool for bringing back a couple of them. I mean, so. you see Agents of Atlas, and if you don't see those two. They've always been kind of a mixed bag of characters. They're basically like a grab bag from other countries, and that's their biggest point. So it's like, yeah. So they're more more just like a, like a like a diverse. No, they just take on different threats that other people don't. Like they're more sure. like sci-fi like type. Well, half the characters are magic powers anyway. I mean, the girl with the mystical bear—that's all magic stuff. So there was a gigantic dragon at one point. Oh, in the early in the older Agents Atlas, yeah. yeah. The original team consisted of Gorilla Man, Jimmy Woo, he's the head of the Atlas Foundation, M11, that's the... The robot. The robot that looks similar to the one from The Day the Earth Stood Still. Um, the Iranian, he's the one that has like a weird like space helmet on. And Namora, which is Namora's sister. Yeah, she's Atlantean. Venus, which she's got red hair, and it's, it's Venus, basically. And then 3D Man, um, that's the original lineup. So I don't know how many of those guys are going to show back up, but... I, mean, I don't think we'll see Nimarita, but as far as the rest of them, I think all the rest of them are possibilities. Because we haven't really seen her, gosh, I feel like in a while. But as far as the team's concerned, I'd be surprised if we didn't see a couple of these new characters land in there just because they're making such a big deal of them. And not Namorita, Namora. They're different people, I think. Oh, did I say Namora? No, it is Namora. You said Namorita. No, Namora. The blonde, not the, yeah. Not the blue one. Correct. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, we know that uh, Swordmaster is getting his own book and Aurora is getting her own book. So I doubt we'll see them unless it's like a cameo crossover kind of thing. They haven't announced if their miniseries are ongoing yet, but the first pitch makes it sound like they plan for it to be ongoing for both of them. So I guess we'll see. But yeah, if the other characters like Wave or Luna Snow don't show up in there, it'd be kind of weird because it's like a huge setup book to not use them anywhere. Uh, let's move on to uh, Usagi. All right, Usagi Ojimbo, issue number one. This is issue number one, the first issue on IDW Publishing since they've uh, jumped ship from Dark Horse, which was their longtime publisher. Um, and the cool thing about this is um, obviously still Stan Sakai. He's writing and drawing it, but it is in color. So there's a colorist now, um, Tom Luth, and edited by Bobby Kurnow. And it uh, starts out with a character that's been in the – if you if you read the the original series, like there's gonna, I, I assume this is just a continuation of the ongoing adventures of Usagi, but you're gonna run into longtime favorites, and this is um, Sasuke. He was like he's kind of a he he hunts like demons and monsters and things like that, and is powered by a god. And he went Usagi in this issue later on will say it, but he he always whenever he shows up, something bad's about to happen. So um, it starts out with him fighting. 
a bunch of like weird demon, little demon creatures, and um, and all of a sudden a gigantic monster <laughs> parent demon comes out of the woods, and he fights that one, cuts its arm off, it blows fire at him, he uses some ice powers, um, and ends up killing it, and then it flashes forward to a... There's a puppet show going on in the town, and Usagi's sitting there watching it, and uh, he meets up with the puppet master just to tell him how impressed he was with the skills and everything, and um, he go, he sits and has tea with them, and they chat, and it seems like they kind of get in a little bit of an argument about how sometimes it's nice to have the story be positive, which is what Usagi thinks, but then this guy says that it's real life is the bad guys win, so that's a lot of his stories end that way. Um, Usagi crawls out of this weird little hole from the puppet show and runs into Sasuke on the street, and he's like, oh... It's not a good thing to see you here because that means something bad's usually going to happen, right? And uh, they're going hes like, "Do you want to have a drink and talk about what's going on?" And we saw he's like, "Yeah, let's go on this end." He's like, "No, nope, not that one. There's a demon that eats people flesh in there." And he's like, "What?" And he's like, "Yeah, well, he doesn't eat people." And he swore it off years ago. And then like the references back to Usagi, like book number issue number twenty-seven, which is like ages and ages. Ago. Yeah, it's way back there. Um, and it, sh- it shows the guy, which is kind of funny. And then they're sitting there having having tea and talking about um there's a evil inhabitants in this town that he needs to um they're going to figure out who it is and what's going on and then uh the last scene is one of the puppets hanging on the hook opens its eyes all creepy style so it's going to be like a child's play kind of situation right well, yeah, and like during the story, whenever the, the whenever he's watching the puppet show, when it first starts, you don't know it's a puppet show. Like it doesn't start that way. It, it, all of a sudden, whenever they pull back, they show us that's what it is. We see like dudes in full black, and Yasagi's like, "Ooh, they do really good. You don't even notice them." And in my head, this is so for year for years. The San Diego Comic Con does this the thing uh, event they call the masquerade, which is basically a costume contest. But anytime you have things move on stage. That are, or people like flying or doing things that are supposed to be a special whatever effect. There'll be people in full black suits that, that do it for them. So like puppeteers mm-hmm. in the crowd, cause you can see them is, anyway, the crowd will chant ninja for them, especially when they do a good job because like ninjas on stage. Anyway, my head is hilarious cause I'm like, hey, it's like that. <laughs> it's probably only for me, which is sad, but still awesome. Anyway. Also, they show up in, uh, like, if you think about um, Forgetting Sarah Marshall at the end of it when they're doing, like, oh, the, the yeah. vampire. Yeah. yeah, same thing. Yeah. Hilarious. But, uh, you know, I'm, right off the bat, I'm just going to get crazy because I'm a longtime fan, and I was kind of curious what was going to go on, but the fact that they put they did it in color, like, the, the covers for years have been in color, and they oh, look yeah. beautiful, and they look wonderful. Stan Sakai is brilliant. Like, it's a brilliant creation. He's one of those people who's never let somebody else take his character and, like, change it and make it weird or make it different and it's always been his you know and he took a long time off because it was his wife got sick yeah she got and, sick and so it's like he's finally come back around to it and idw seems like that they're people who just let the creators do their own thing so i'm i'm pretty happy for him and the the interiors of the book being all color that was probably a deal that they made with him. like hey man like let's make this thing let's take this to the next level because they have the money to do that and print in full color like that, and it looks amazing. It looks, oh, yeah. it, the interiors are beautiful. Like, like his art always has been, but like the whole book being in color is great, and I'm excited for it. So, I kind of wonder if maybe it was a way to differentiate themselves since the story is just moving forward from the original Dark Horse stuff. 
it makes me wonder if maybe that was part of the deal to make it its own thing. Because even though it continues forward, this is clear where the chapters change. When all of a sudden it's in color, hmm, like that's the next step forward. Yeah. So I think that's pretty cool. It'll be neat to see how it goes. And it's, I, like, I don't know enough about the whole reasoning for him leaving or whatnot. But as far as a thing, like, yeah, Stan's a pretty stand-up dude. And, like, all the stuff he did before with Peter Lazard and uh, the Ninja Turtle stuff, like, it, character-wise, Yusagi's been around a long time. And I don't think people really realize that, but he, but he has been. Like, he's an OG character. And, like, as far as one owner, one creator, like, that's one of the, like, one of the original ones for that. I mean, there's been others, that's true, but... And as far as a guy, he's a really nice guy. Like, he's, he's awesome. I mean, you got this couple of figures signed by him, and yeah, he's awesome. Uh, did you have a score for his book? Did you give a score already? Um, yeah, he, like, before we, we go to the scoring, okay. um, he debuted in 1984. So, yeah. Um, in Anthropomorphics number two. So, yeah, I mean, that's, he's been around for, 30 plus years. Yep. So 35 years. That's pretty huge. That's a pretty long time for to be a character owned character, like creator owned character going that long. Right. When constantly coming out too. I mean, the only time it really slowed down was when his wife got sick and eventually passed away. Like during that, it was a totally different thing though. Yeah. He consistently, consistently for years did it. And like, I always liked that he, even, even the uh, graphic novels are all like the story arcs. We always collected them and like by volumes. And so you could always go back and get like, if you missed out on five issues, you go back and get the trade pretty easy. And they're all like nice little, like cool with the different covers and things like that. Like, you know, he's always, he's just been a great guy. And like, like he, he, you had him like, you got me that one figure years ago. I mean, years ago, man, like 15 years ago. ago. (laughs) And like he drew a little sketch on it. It was pretty cool. So, yeah, the dude seems super rad. And, yeah. But uh, he's always been one of my favorite characters and one of my favorite books. And, um, yeah, I give it a five straight up. Like, I think it's fantastic. And, and like, I may, maybe some of it's nostalgia, but it it reads and flows fantastically. Like, it's a cool book. Like, it's it's building. It's like starting a new arc right off the bat. And you're like, hmm, where, could, where is this going to go? And it's, it's pretty cool. So the puppet open its eyes at the end. Kind of creepy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Into it. See where that's gonna go. So, um, um, well, I give it a four. I mean, book wise, I mean, nostalgia is definitely a big part of it. I mean, just because Usagi's been such a big thing for so long, and whether you found him first because of the the turtle figures or from the little bit of touch the turtles back in the day, or whether you found him be- just on a newsstand, as far as a thing, like it has that old school flow to it, and like style to it just like i don't know we've said a lot about the style but as far as the thing like the dude's just so like humble when you see him and i've got i've been lucky enough to meet him three or four times in life and and not one of those times was it was like meeting somebody different like he's constantly always been the same guy last year when i picked up those pins for us and 15 years ago they're not a miss to beat like awesome but yeah as far as the score i give it a four i say if you've never read Yasagi before you can start here and you'll be fine yeah, it's actually, I mean, a great, great spot oh, to jump yeah. off. And then you could always go back and, like, pick up the old trades and sure. you know, go through them. Because they're not overpriced. No, they're not out of control. Yeah. Now, with Dark Horse losing the rights and that all shifting, it's hard to say what's going to happen with them. Amazon tends to get out of control when things go out of print because people are crazy. 
but as far as books in the world, he's had them done several different ways. I mean, there's the volumes, there's omnibuses, uh, there's the tr- regular trades. So if you want to try to chase down the old stuff, there's lots of platforms to do it. So it's not the hardest thing. Right. Now, if you want the hardcovers for Volume 1, that's a different thing. Because the hardcover Volume 1, they only made like a thousand of them. They were signed. and Oh, that's the, the omnibus. Yeah, yeah. I've been looking for one of those for Tony Rodriguez for the last, I don't know, three years, four years. <laughs> And they're not easy to come by. The soft covers, sure. But the hard covers, no. They were limited and signed inside, so it's a different kind of bag. Well, even with this issue, you can, off his website, I think that you, like, he has some special stuff for it. Like, And you can actually get into um, the blanks are from his website. Right. That's what I found out. And he'll, depending on what you're willing to pay, he'll do a sketch c- cover for you for, like, there's different levels. I think there's like That's four, cool. four different levels. Yeah. So That's neat. That's cool. I didn't yeah. know that. That's way cool. So let's move on to, I think, Thumbs. Is that the, uh, yeah. Thumbs from Image Comics. Uh, this is put together by, uh, the writer is Sean Lewis, and the artist is uh, Hayden Sherman. And this is part one. This is a f- five-part miniseries, and it's an oversized-style book, so it's not a normal 23-pager. It's I, wanna, I, I don't remember the actual page count, so don't quote me on it, but I feel like the page count is probably 48 pages, because it's a pretty big book. Um and as far as pieces, it's already in second print, so if you find first prints, I say pick them up, because it's got a really cool style story that could easily be turned into a movie, I think. As far as uh, story's concerned, when we first open up, we're in the middle of one of our two main characters rushing the other one to a hospital inside what looks like a military base. And the whole time she's talking to him, telling him, oh, you gotta stay with me, you gotta stay with me, thumbs. And uh, in the process of us going over, like, her talking to him, we wind up learning who they are. Thumbs is a character um, who's Charlie Fel- Felons or Fel- Felons, and uh, she is N- N- Nia Cole, and Nia is his direct officer in the situation they're in, and his nickname is Thumbs, so like military name. And as we go a little farther, when they finally get back to their military-looking base, they tell us what the name of it is, and it's Victory Point is what they call it. Oh no, Fortress of Victory, excuse me, Fortress of Victory. And as she's talking, we wind up hearing all these other voices around her, and we see that all these characters are their kids. Not like like nine and ten year olds, but like teenage kids. And uh, he's, Thumbs is pretty messed up, and so she's yelling at all of them that they need an old face to help them. They need an old face. And basically what we wind up learning is that we're, we're, we're farther up in in the head in the future and technologies evolved a certain way and uh, Nia decides she's going to play what happened to Thumbs for everyone else and all these screens come on in their building it's basically showing the two of them on an insurgent like uh, tactical attack and the two of them are not geared to do that at all they're both wearing VR cams and trying to sneak around this base and Thumbs gets hurt pretty bad and a batch of other people with them get dead and uh Eventually, we get back home, and the whole time that they're all the other kids are watching this, they're critiquing it, they're like making notes on how not to screw up, and uh, that makes her super pissed. From there, we have we run into an older an older officer who basically takes over the situation and asks asks her, of course, if they succeeded, and she's like, "Well, look at him. Do you think we succeeded?" And uh, she tells him, "Well, the best we can really do is sedate him." And uh, from there, we flash back in time. And we wind up joining Thumbs, living in a trailer park with his uh, younger sister. And the two of them have an AI, 
looking like digital projections. I think like Tony Stark's uh, message at the end of Endgame. Like that, except it's very featureless. And they call it mom. And it turns out like when you live in this society, if you're a parent, you work all the time. And so you have these AIs that basically take care of your kids, babysit, feed, cook, clean for them. So they're a lot just straight-up holographs. They're like solid holograph, so they can move things around and do things like cook food and dress them and put them into bed. Part of what's going on in the system is that they've got this this fellow who's decided that he's going to start using different training programs to basically train kids. And part of that training turns out to be like this tactical overthrow the government training. And it, eventually, if you're really good, they you get invited to join this contest. And the contest decides whether you can go to a Fortress Victory or not. Well, Fortress Victory turns out to really be like an insurgency against the government. Now, granted, we don't know necessarily if the government's right or not yet, um, but the government cracks down on things pretty hardcore. And when they show up to out a bunch of the kids that live at the trailer park, it's like straight-up hellfire that they cause. And his sister ones are getting taken, and uh, they get separated. He's pulled away by one the, by Nina, by Nia, who takes him to Fortress Victory. And from there, we cut to the present, where he wakes up basically in a hospital bed. And uh, he doesn't know where he's at. He's he's been healed, but now he's he's aged quite a bit. We've gone from him being 15 years old to him being 22, I think is what it was. 21. 21, maybe. So, like, a lot of time has passed, and he looks around, and, like, everything in the facility is just, like, abandoned. And all of a sudden, the holograph, the hollow projection of Mother shows back up. And uh, he basically tells Mother he's going to get whoever took his sister, and he's going to get whoever hurt the other victory kids, and he's going to kill them. And that's when Mom's face appears on all the different screens, and she's like, yes, I know. And, like, that's kind of where it leaves off, like dystopian future style things are crazy as far as like a sci-fi story like I, I dug it it was cool I like the way they move back and forth in the story uh, the art's a little more gritty than what I normally like in things but I dug it for what it is the way they use their color palette like the way they use the reds and the grays or the pinks I guess and the grays has a cool look to it um, not Sin City but uh, Sin City-esque I guess um and as far as the score, I give it a three and a half. I, I mean, I dug the first story. Now, I have had the benefit of reading the next two issues um, because they sent us out a PDF of them to check out. So I know more than what I'm leading on to know, and so what I dig where it goes in the next two issues. I haven't seen the end, of course, because it didn't send us the whole thing. Um, but the preview itself, like with the, first, the first issue gives you, it, I, I dig it. So if you get a chance to pick it up, I'd say pick it up. Again, it's in second printing already, so... Tell your story you want it, I guess. Um, yeah, uh, Josh, what'd you think of that story? Um, it didn't make sense because the beginning of it, he seems like he's younger when he's getting back and he's been injured, and then it seems like it's a flashback to where he gets, and then it flashes way, way forward, so like two times more forward to where he's 21 after being healed from after having been attacked and gotten back to the base so it's like it does jump around a little bit it's jumping quite a bit yeah, I'm like, like it's where kinda... where it starts is supposed to be the present and then it, it flashes back 2 years prior so for him it rewinds 2 years when he's living with his sister and then after the accident we jump back forward again so it does jump back and forth there i mean it 
Well, but at the beginning, yeah. he's supposed to be like teenager still. Well, he's 15, yeah. And when they flash back, we subtract two from there. So he goes from being 15 to being 13 just before his induction into the whole VR world. And he's constantly living in the with the VR helmet on in real life, wandering around, which is really kind of like, it's really weird if you think about people now with their phones. It's a similar thing. I can see what the guy's aiming for. Just Ready Player One style stuff. I mean, yeah. But, but but the end of it is like flashing forward even more because then he's 21. So it's like right. even more more years in the future. So it's like just kind of, I don't know, it's just all over. It was kind of jumpy. And the art doesn't make it easy to read. Like it's kind of blocky and weird to me. Like it was kind of like, I don't know, I, I, I re-flipped through that one more than all the other ones. And I was like, ah, it's just kind of the flow of it's a little funky. It's great. Maybe it changes. It gets better as it goes on because no, it is an issue one. The art style doesn't not like not like get, not get better, but it's the flow. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Now, granted, I had the benefit of reading one, two, and three together. Granted, it's a PDF, which is I don't really like, but that's that I read all three of them together. So, one by itself versus three by themselves would, is definitely different. I think. Right. And like I said, the art it's grittier than what I normally like, but. I dig what they're doing with it. I just, it's not what I normally prefer. Well, overall, I, I said, I mean, I'd be like a three on it. I'm going to give it a three just to benefit the doubt where it's going it's to go somewhere cooler and it's kind of a cool idea. You know, it's been like done a million, that style of thing's been done a million times. I mean, it's even kind of goes to far as like um, the, the fabulous killjoys or whatever, like um, what's his name? Gerard Way. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. it's even kind of has that feel to it. Like, a, 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 a sect of teenagers that, like, are trying to bring down the system kind of thing. And then, like, yeah, I mean, it's been done, but hopefully, I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt that it's going to go somewhere cool. And the art is interesting. Like, it's not bad. It's just, I think, with the, with the, the flow of the storytelling, it was kind of weird, so. The second issue does reveal a lot of stuff. Um,. So something we find out during the second issue is that the kids don't realize they're being led into a guerrilla army. They think what they're doing is like straight up legitimate like world training and it's not they've been misled too. So that's an interesting piece to the next book because they don't get we don't get that in this one. But uh, the spin it happens in the next book where it shows the shape of the world really. Cool. Um, so let's see. So after that, we we'll move on to Lady Mechanica. Um, Lady Mechanica is from Joe Benitez Press, and Joe Benitez—he's the—he's uh, the creator of the character. And um, little story, Lady Mechanica. I don't know if we've ever talked about it on the show or not, but originally, Lady Mechanica started at Aspen Comics, um, so Michael Turner's imprint. And the first the zero issue came out, and then towards the end of that year, number one came out, and uh, he won a batch of awards. Um, and then number zero got reprinted, and number one got reprinted, number two came out, then number one and zero got made into one book and reprinted, then number two got reprinted, three came out, and number one got reprinted again. So, like, it was so popular when it first hit, like, it got reprinted a lot. Oh, my God. Like, there's at least five prints, number one. If you count the zero-one combo, there's six. Anyway, three came out, and three got a, I don't remember if three ever got a second printing or not, uh, but then he wound up leaving the company before four came out. And then eventually opened his own company and finished it. Now, here we are in like the fourth, um, fifth volume of Lady Mechanica stuff. And like, steampunk became a giant thing. Like, it was a thing when he started this, but it wasn't, didn't have its own conventions. There was very few people doing cosplay of it because it wasn't really a genre yet. 
and then Lady Mechanica happened, and it became a genre within the time frame of number one, two, and three coming out, and became a giant thing. Um, but yeah, as far as the character, her backstory is that, so in London there was these three years where we had a crazy serial killer out just carving people up, and she was to be one of the only survivors from his tirade, and when they find her, she has no memory of her past or how she got abducted or anything, but she's had all of her limbs replaced with robot limbs, so she's not a full normal lady anymore. Um, she's got robot parts, <laughs> and that's part of her whole bag. Anyway, there's there's like a short backstory on her. Anyhow, uh, so Josh, want to tell me about Lady Mechanica? Um, it opens with a um, what looks to be um, either Aztec or Mayan family, and like maybe possibly the king or whoever the leader of those those people were and looks like first looks like he's he's like rescuing his daughter and running away from something called like the jaguar monster and then all of a sudden he realizes it's just his son and they're all playing they're all hanging out his wife's there and then some um alarms go off and he puts on his his battle garb and heads out to to lead his warriors and after they get out there there's like a bunch of people freaking out, and then there's just a bunch of slasher, slasher, kill, kill. Nobody, you can't see anything. You don't know anything. A bunch yeah. of deletes, a bunch of dead bodies. Yeah, and then like the very last scene is just the wife, like protecting the two little kids in the temple with a one with one knife, and then it like flash forwards to um, Lady Mechanica talking to a doctor about to keep an eye on her, like was it her assistant or her, yeah. her friend, and because uh, she's got like go to, has to go to Spain for a for a, um, a case and it, she's talking about how she had to banish some fairies a fairy girlfriend of his or something that that was bad for her friend and he still hasn't quite recovered from it and isn't isn't quite over what she's done and okay with it and so she's going to leave him here and go on this trip herself right and part, I, part of her bag with the what she's made herself after the whole like replaced in body part stuff from her origin she basically became a supernatural detective, so she's like a Sherlock Holmes that goes after cases of ghosts and vampires and witches and mystical blah blah blah. So her whole like bag in the world is she's like a detective that investigates the supernatural, and so the fairy thing was a previous storyline that affected her. Uh, I don't know. He's not really her Watson, but he's kind of that, I guess. But yeah, that's what they're talking about there. So it references the other story. Well, anyway. All right, so she arrives in Spain, and as she walks up, there's a butler outside, and he's asking what she's doing there, and she says that the uh, the Baronessa has asked her to come, and then the the dad, like the dad, which would be the Baron, like just comes down, like, "What are you doing here?" Blah blah blah, all aggro guy, and the wife's like, "I asked her to come to help our son," and he's like, "Nope, the priest is going to be the one who helps him," and. She's like, let me let, let us just try this this route because nothing's helping. Like, what's it gonna hurt? And he caves, and so they go and they sit down and they have a, the, the the two ladies have a talk, and she kind of fills her in that the the son has been possessed, and that the uh, a priest came and performed an exorcism, and she explains all the all the different like symptoms of the so called possession and. Um, Lady Mechanica is like, that doesn't sound like a possession. That sounds more like something else. And she's like, no, it was, it was. And so she asks to see the boy, 
and they go in the room and they ask the priest to leave and she's looking at him and his eyes are fine. They, they had supposedly been red before. And so there's these huge marks, these big marks on his head and she automatically notices a device on the, on the counter and said, is it caused by this device? And the mom's like, yeah, it's a, it's a new thing that the priests use to an exorcism. She's like, no, that's not what that is. It's for like personality correction, basically. It's electroshock therapy is basically what the harness is like a helmet that you put onto a person that you give shock therapy to. Right. And this is like, I mean, the mechanical world is very steampunky, so it's not like modern time, but it's not the kind of time that that would... There are gizmos and gadgets. Yeah, but it's not like a normal thing that a that a priest would be using first because that doesn't make any sense. And she's obviously like, this doesn't make any sense, and that's why he's in a coma, and that's why he's waking up. is because he's been like electroshock therapied into a coma. And the mom's kind of like, uh... And my dad comes in all... At- angry and like sees lady Mechanica's eyes are red and freaks out and throws some holy water in her face and nothing happens and uh and she has robot eyes <laughs> and they like are all chatting and talking and you know kind of having a conversation and then they're like the dad's just not happy about the whole situation and so then lady Mechanica starts interviewing all the staff the house staff and she meets with one of the old an old lady that's like a caretaker and you kind of come to find out that um, the son came home and he'd been kind of aggro and angry. But what I gather from it is the son's gay and the dad's not fond of that. And that the son had been molested previously by an uncle that was banished to the new world. And that that's what caused it, supposedly. And um, I think that in from what from reading this book, what I gather is... Um, the dad had electroshock shock therapy hap- like given to his son to try and make him not gay anymore, which is like, hmm, that's a really horrible human being. Oh yeah, and the dad's like, it's their family's a normal family. Like he's like an aristocrat, and so like that doesn't make it okay because it really isn't. But yeah, it seems the dad's the whole reason dad doesn't want her there asking questions is because he doesn't get caught. Right. Yeah. Well, so anyway, nighttime rolls around and she goes outside in her gear. She go take a look around to like basically like prove to herself like this stuff's not going to this is there's nothing going on here. It's like, not really a demon, yeah. Yeah, and so because they think there's a demon that's still hanging around around the around the property supposedly, and in the darkness she sees like one of the somebody from the house servant boy, yeah, like running across the field. So she follows after him, and he's like kind of talking to himself, like it seems like, and as she's going, it's like it's. You know, it's catching me, it's catching me, she's here, she's here. And then all of a sudden, the dude's just, she runs into a clearing and it's just the dude's head. Yeah, it's pretty gross. And she's like, um, maybe there is a case here after all. And that's where it kind of ends. So, um, it's actually a pretty cool book. I never read any Lady Mechanica before. Um, the art in it is done by, let's see here, the story is... Joe, Joe Benita is at M.M. Chen, um, and the art is by Brian Ching. Um, pencils in the prologue was, are done by somebody different, but it's done by Joe Benitez and um, Martin Montiel. And, uh, yeah, the colors are by Beth Sotelo, and letterings by Michael Heisler. But um, they did a fantastic job. It's a beautifully done book. 
Um, yeah, I think it's fantastic. I, I get a four and a half. I think it's really cool. Like I, I said, I never read it before. I was pretty impressed. I'm pretty excited about it. So cool. Yeah, as far as Lee Mechanic is concerned, like the character, like Benitez, he's a great artist. Like he really is. He does do a lot of like cons and stuff. So he's not like the most unaccessible guy, but he is. If you get a chance to see him at a show, is what I'm saying, do it because the dude's got he's he's a great artist. Um, and like the team he's got working on his books with him, the art flows really seamlessly because it it looks so similar that the prologue and then the main story, you don't feel like a shift in the style of art. So like that's really cool too. Uh, as far as scores, I mean, yeah, I give it a four and a half too. I mean, I've I've dug Lady Mechanica since it happened. And as far as like a character, I mean, she's really cool. She's like a a robot detective lady or part robot cyborg detective lady in in London at its heyday. You know, it's a it's a fun book. As far as like series are concerned, I say definitely check it out. If, if you dig steampunk stuff even a little bit, like it's awesome and the art's beautiful. So, but yeah, I give it a four and a half also. Um. All right. So I guess we'll move on to our uh, well, one last thing about him. Though. Yeah. Like the, the if if anything, think about the fact that if Michael Turner saw something in him, that means he was great. Oh yeah. So, I mean, that's a big deal. Oh, no, for Michael sure. Michael Turner himself was one of the greatest to me. Like he oh, was no. so he was incredible. Yeah. So fantastic. Yeah. As far as dude, dudes in the world of comics, like he he's a really big loss because the guy was just so prolific and he's kind of a he's kind of a, a really like. Neutral mix of J. Scott Campbell and Michael Turner. Oh, Michael Turner's. You mean Mark Silvestri? No, Michael Turner mm-hmm. and J. Scott Campbell is. Oh, but Joe, yeah, yeah, Joe, okay. Joe Sorry, is. with you. I thought you were talking about Turner. I'm, I'm screwing through his uh, his uh, Instagram right now, and like this cover that he did for Harley Quinn a few years back. Oh, it, yeah. like, it's like a it's a mix right in between. Yeah, he's he's a fantastic artist. Like, yeah, he's he's really good. And he does, he has, like, the last few years he's been doing, like, con-exclusive covers that usually he sells himself, so if you get a chance to see him at a show, you should really go check him out. So I'm moving to Naomi, then? Sure. All right. So this is a part of the uh, DC Universe Wonder Comics we were talking about earlier. Uh, this is Naomi, we're going to be doing issue number four. Uh, this is written by uh, Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, the art is uh, Jamal Campbell. Um, as far as like story, stories are concerned, like this book picked up a whole lot of um, speculator traction. It, it was under the first the first prints were underprinted, and because of that, finding copies in the world anymore is like an eBay nightmare. Um, but as far as stories are concerned, I mean, issue four picks up not the middle middle, but pretty close to the beginning of a reveal. And Naomi. As a character, this the whole story has been about the mystery of who she is and where she comes from. So, like, where this book first picks up, we've got Naomi in this cave with her father. And her father is dressed in basically an Adam Strange outfit, which Adam Strange is uh, DC's, I don't know, like, space swashbuckler type. Um, that, that That's the only way I can really explain him. Um, and she's like, are you kidding me, Dad? You're telling me this now? Showing me your ship? And up to this point in the book, Naomi's always felt like she didn't really fit fit, but didn't know how she was different. And, uh, well, here's her dad showing her spaceship, so there you go. Uh, anyway, he has her climb into the ship, and she starts asking him questions. And she's like, oh, so you're saying that you're you're an alien and mom's human and I'm half whatever. And he's like, oh, no, not really. 
And she's like, um, what? She goes, so you and mom? He's like, oh, no, no, I fell in love with your mother, that's true. And so he basically takes up on explaining to her where he's from and why he's here. And it turns out he's from Ran, which is one of the planets in the DC universe. And Ran and Thanagar, which is where the Hawk people are from, Thanagar, have had a constant battle. So think, if you think Marvel, it'd be like the Kree and the Scrolls. They basically have civil war battles in space for a very long time they did. Um, not every character believes in what they're fighting for or whatever, but as far as a thing, that's kind of how the two planets battled each other out in space for a long time. Anyhow, this particular, him, so his name is Greg. Him getting to Earth has to do with an assignment he was given, and he tells her that he was sent here to follow and track down a Thanagarian terrorist that had hidden on Earth. And uh, his job was to hunt him down and figure out what he was doing and expose him. Uh, so Greg, prior to all this, he fought during the Ran-Thanagar Wars. He fought with Adam Strange, and he was part of like an elite group, and that's why he was picked to infiltrate Earth. So we cut from him explaining that to her having a hard time understanding what that's about. And then he basically tells her who is here to track down. And in the very first issue, we have a point where she runs into this mechanic in town uh, named D. And D always acts uneasy around her, and she never really understood why. Um, ultimately, she at one point believes that D might have been her father. Of course, he tells her that that's not the truth, and squash that idea. But uh, we find out the real reason that Greg is here is he's sent to track down D, who's the Thanagarian terrorist. And he t- explains that when he found him, he wasn't doing anything wrong. He was just working as a mechanic in a garage trying to have a life that was totally different. And as best he could tell, as he followed him around and watched him, he wasn't about that anymore. And he had moved to Earth to basically start over. And then from there, he met her mother. And her mother is this, like, punk rock, multicolored hair artist lady who's just a whirlwind, and he falls in love with her and decides he doesn't want to go home either. And so he quit getting messages at one point from his the high command, the high council, and so he quit sending messages, and he just let it be. And so, of course, Naomi's like, oh, so how do I fit into that at all? Like, is, is mom an alien? Like... And about that time, Mom shows up and sits with them during in the cockpit also. And she's like, I can't believe you let her on the ship. And she's, the daughter's like, you never asked to be in the ship? And she's like, nope. And, of course, Dad laughs. Well, I don't really ever think about it. So it's kind of like, I don't know, weird situational humor or whatever. I mean, Brian Michael Bendis writes family slice of life stuff real well. So if you've ever read anything of his, it, it fits. Um, anyway, we so we cut back to the two of them explaining their life. And at one point... Uh, they talk about how one evening they did get a message and Greg had to go out and try to deal with it. Well, as he goes out to meet where the signal tells him to meet, he winds up finding D out there also, and D's got a message as well. So they were both called to go meet on this football field, and neither one of them understands why. And about that time, we have this giant rip in reality happen, and these three, like, crazy, I don't know, crazy awesome-looking knights basically jump out chasing this lady, Who's carrying a baby? And they are definitely about killing the lady and the baby. And the baby gets, the lady drops the baby as she is grabbed and pulled back through the wormhole. And that leaves, I mean, D and, D and, and, and her dad both start fighting them, basically trying to help the lady. But by the end of the fight, the baby's left and the mom has been taken away. And that leaves both D and him, like, looking at the baby, like, what are we supposed to do with this? And D's like, I got too many things going on in my life. I can't take care of a baby. 
And Greg's like, well, we can't leave her. So it turns out the baby was Naomi. And uh, pretty much all she had with her as a baby was like a cape or a cloth that had her wrapped up and this little box that had a logo on the front of it. And the big reveal was the logo at the end of the issue. So there's been a lot of speculation what that is on, on the Internet. So, I mean, at this point, issue 5 is coming out. So if you want the real reveal, look at issue 5. Um, I'm going to leave it there so I don't give away the ending ending. But as far as, like, setup's concerned, we go through a lot of stuff here to find out that she's from a totally different group that we have nothing, we have no knowledge about, really. And best I can tell is a faction we never dealt with before. Um, as far as the story's concerned, I mean, it's a good story. And as far as the character's concerned, they made such a big deal when they first started. It was, oh, who's this Naomi? She's a new face of Marvel, or DC, blah, 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 blah. And I don't know about all that. I mean, character-wise, she's interesting enough. But as far as the world's concerned, like, you started out as, oh, biggest mystery in DC ever. And that's a hard sell to me, just because I've read so many DC comics. So, eh. But after reading the series, it's, it really is pretty good. I mean, and maybe it's just because Brian Michael Bendis is so good, because he is. I mean, if you ever read Miles Morales stuff, up until last year, pretty much all of that was him. So, and as things are concerned, like, he's a really good writer. Um, plus, he's, I, best I can tell, he's a great dude. I've never met him in life, but whenever Stan Lee passed, a bunch of the books did, like, banners and, like, a picture of Stan, and they have the Stan Stoke box in the Marvel books now, which I think is really cool. But in one of his books, Brian's got an imprint called Jinx World, which we mentioned earlier when we were talking about the company things. And in issue, I think it's six, of a book called Cover, the last five pages are like a tribute to Stan. And it's about Brian going up and going to cons and meeting Stan and eventually working for Stan. And it's like this whole like thing that's awesome. And it's in the back of a DC book. Like, I think that's great. So the dude... As far as I'm concerned, he's an awesome dude as a person. Writer-wise, he's a good writer, too, and I thought the book was fine. Score-wise, I give it a three and a half. I, I don't know where Naomi's going to fall in the world, but as far as like a series is concerned, Bendis is awesome. I mean, as a person, so that's great. If you get a chance to read it, everybody who's picked up at the shop for us has loved it. Now, granted, we started out getting six, and they sat there for a minute, and now since then I have guys that I've never seen before. They're in every week trying to get their copy even if they're second prints, because we didn't order them. So, like, the guys reading it love it. Um, this issue is kind of in the middle, so I'm sure for you, Josh, it's probably a lot different than for me. But as a thing, I mean, I give it a three and a half. It's a good book. I like the art just fine. Character design's cool. I dig when we talk about Ran Thanagar, just because of the, the Ran Thanagar war, which I think is I thought was awesome, especially when Kyle Reiner was in it. It was great. Um, so yeah, that's all. That's, that's all I got. Josh, uh, what do you think about Naomi? Um, I like the art in it. I like the uh, character design of the uh, Thingarian guy. Um, he was all huge and muscly, and he's like a mechanic on Earth now. And um, you know, the, st- the story flowed real well. Like it was a really good story. Like I, me, me, not having read issues one through three, like I, it was fine. It's kind of like it, it's a decent jumping off point, I guess. I guess you're not going to be completely lost. I don't know what happens in issues one through three. And it doesn't get real too crazy about it, so um, it seems like maybe the mechanic character is like a little bit more important. Um, other than that, yeah, I mean, I, I'll probably go to three overall because it was good. Um, I like the internal art quite a bit. I'm almost curious to see where it goes and see like um, you always do that. There's always an interesting thing to discuss at the end of a book, and you're like, those are always the ones that you don't want to talk about, which is weird because it's like I wanted to talk about that on the podcast, but now you don't want to, so. 
But now they're keeping some pieces secret. That way you can... It's all about promoting the book, and like I don't want to give away everything just, these guys work to make. You just told them everything in the book except the very last page, though. Because so. that's where the catch is. It's not, though. Then they still have to read the book, though. Exactly. And they already know what's going to happen, so then they'll just flip <laughs> straight to the back of the book. Nah. Yeah. It's like, you know, like tells somebody tells me everything that happens in Endgame, and they tell me everything except about old man Steve, and then I'm going to be like, all right, well, I'm just going to go watch the end of the movie then. Yeah, but the... It's a different thing, seeing it yourself and hearing it. They're two different things. Exactly, so we should be able to tell them everything. Whatever. I didn't stop you, but whatever. It's your podcast. Yeah. Following your rules. It's all it's all teamwork. Um, well, as far as books, I guess that's it for books. Um, so let's go and run the... This is an interview, the interview from... Uh, uh, this is with Jorge Corona. This is uh, from the Denver Pop Culture Con. So this uh, last June... Is when that was. Um, awesome artist, dudes doing the interior arts, and well, and the covers too for uh, Middle West, which is Scotty Young's book. So um, take a listen to that, and uh, we'll be back at you in just a minute. Hey, this is Steve with Top Five Comics Podcast. I'm here with. Uh, I'm Jorge Corona. I'm the artist on Middle West. Hey, Jorge. How did you get started, man? Oh well, uh, that was a lot of things. So I'm from I'm from Venezuela, from South America. So I came uh, to the states with a with a scholarship uh, for uh, uh, I did my master uh, degree in sequential art, and it was through the school that I started meeting other professionals and like editors and stuff like that. And then a little bit after I graduated, I was working with uh, Arkea, uh, and uh, I was doing the Teen Titans Go. Uh, comic for DC based on the cartoon and then after that it was just like a snowball effect and you know you get to know more people you get to get different jobs and that's that's how I got here right right was just roll about through the system sounds like pretty much right on well like when you were growing up did you think I want to do comics is that ever what the goal was I mean once I discovered that yeah like back home like comics uh, was basically something that maybe like the comic strips at the back of the newspaper and then every now and then like a book but it was like a Disney book or something like that it wasn't you know as, as prominent as, as it was here um, so it took me a while to discover comics but I grew up loving like you know obviously Batman and, and Superman and all the superheroes and then I watched the cartoons and like Batman the animated show blew my mind and I was traveling and I can't remember why I was on a family trip and then we were at a grocery store, and then I see, like, the rack with all the comics, and I see Batman, and I was like, oh, I love Batman. What is this? So I grab, I grab it, and it was like a Kelly Jones Batman. So it was, like, oh, the complete man. opposite of, like, you know, what I was watching on the, on the cartoon. And I was like, you can do this? And, like, so after I discovered comics, man, I, I just fell in love with the media. Like, it's, it's, the medium is so versatile, and, like, you get to do so many things with it that I, I just fell in love with it. And... Yeah, I work as a graphic designer and as an illustrator before, and then as soon as I figure out that I could do this, I just, that was my aim. Yeah. Right on, man. Is there anybody you look for inspiration from? Uh, it's, it, honestly, it, it's, uh, it keeps changing. Like, you know, like, when I started comics, I, like I said, like, Kelly Jones was like, oh my god, I, I loved his Batman. I love, I love the way he drew that comic. And... The more I got into comics, like the more I started learning about creators and like artists and writers and stuff like that, and it's just something that every now and then it just like 
changes and someone sure. someone's art clicks with you. Like I've been through all like I've been through Joe Madreira, I've been I've been through like Jim Lee, obviously. Um, uh, J. Scott Campbell was a big influence for a while. Uh, uh, Umberto Ramos, Scotty Young, obviously was like you know. Uh, ever since I saw like his like uh, uh, Spider Clan, like the manga Spider Man, like oh man, I, I love his style. And then just seeing his evolution was one of the ones that I, I always I always looked at because I love his style. And then Eric Canetti was also another big one. And uh, I don't know, man. Again, it changes every now and then. But but yeah, you. I don't know. I feel like you get to love comics so much that you just keep looking at them every every day. There's something new that you go you go to. So sure. Well, yeah. And as taste changes, as you grow, exactly. your taste develops. Yeah, exactly. Ma Mike Mignola from you is that way. Like oh, Mike Mignola. Like as soon as I discovered Hellboy, that was uh, there was a time that I was trying to like min like not mimic rip off <laughs> Mignola, <laughs> and it's it's one of those things like the like you do learn from it, but then you realize okay, that's you know. That's almost his signature, like, and then everything that you do, he has such a distinct style that it's like, if you try to mimic it, it looks like you're trying to right. copy it, yeah. so, um, with Mignola nowadays, it's mostly, like, composition and storytelling, what I try to look at the most, because it's, like, his style is so his own, that you don't, you almost don't want to mess with it, but his storytelling is also so distinctive, and it's just great, so, like, that's what I try to look at more, and like you said, like, at, at the beginning, you look at like the style, like the way people like draw hands, draw faces, draw right. bodies, whatever. And now, nowadays, the more you do it, it's like, oh, I like the way this this person does storytelling. Like, I like how they tell the story, and that's what I look at. Like um, uh, now, now it's yeah, like my range is like from the most cartoony thing to like the most like hatch, like you know, hyper realistic stuff. And I, 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 I just love it, man. Right on. Well, you, uh, between the two styles, do you have one you prefer? Or what do you like doing best? I, I always uh, I always aim for more, uh, you know, more cartoony, more stylized. Uh, more fun. Uh, yeah, I like I have more fun with it, and honestly, like it allows. I I'm a very big fan of animation too. So like anything that that allows me to play with more kinetic en energy in the pages and stuff like that. Uh, and I feel like when I when I'm able to abstract. You know, bodies and, and, and proportions and stuff like that. I feel like I have more room to, even even emotionally. Like I feel like uh, for for characters when they're expressing emotions and when they're going through things, like I I like more cartoony approach because I feel like people recognize the emotion faster and sure. like and they connect with the character faster too. Sure, sure. Yeah. Do you have a dream project of some type? Oh man. There's I know been, it's a big one. I know. There's been a lot. Yeah, I know. Honestly, like I've been lucky enough that I've tangentially, like, and like again, like I grew up loving Batman. So like I, I, when I got to do We Are Robin, and then just get to draw, like I got to draw, um, Batman. Like that was like, oh, that was like, that was great, man. And then I understood that it, it also like intimidates the crap out of me to draw Batman because like I've, I've had so many people, like. Uh, so many portraits of Batman that I like, and they are so diverse that when I have to draw it, I have no idea how to draw that guy. So <laughs> it's one of those characters that I love and I hate to draw at the same time because I overthink it to the extreme. But I think you know, doing something with with Batman and then you know that Batman universe, I, I get, like I said, I got lucky that I got to do Robin. We're sure. Robin, and and I got a Nightwing issue too that was also like, it was a lot of fun to do. Uh, but yeah, keep playing in that in that. Like that would be fun. 
Awesome, man. Okay, we got a couple weird questions we do. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, not super weird. <laughs> Sounds fair. Um, so, what is your go-to karaoke song? Oh, God, is Are You Gonna Be My Girl from, uh, what was, what's the name of that band? I'm, I'm blanking on that right now. Are You Gonna Be My Girl? I, I'll, I'll try to remember later the, the name of that. Yeah. No worries, the title of the words themselves. Yeah, exactly. I know what, we know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, if you were stranded on a deserted island, right. and you're only able to take five items with you, All right. what five items would they be? A boat. <laughs> I, I don't think anything. I don't need anything else. I have the boat. I can go pick it up. I guess oh, <laughs> that would be a good escape method. So a boat would be yeah, helpful. I kind of like the idea of being on the island for a while. So I just need to do some grocery shopping. So like that's about it. I will use the boat for that and then go back to the island. <laughs> you want it weird questions? I give you weird, weird answers, man. <laughs> yeah, no okay, so last one. If you lived in Fantasyland, would you ride a chocolate pony? Yes. Immediately. <laughs> You're not worried about getting dirty and melting? No, not really. No. How many chances are you going to get to to actually do that? So, like, you know, seize the moment, I guess. <laughs> right on, man. We appreciate you taking time to talk with us. My pleasure, man. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Right, we just want to thank Jorge again for taking a minute to talk with us and chit chat. Fun guy, like uh, we, a little bit off, off out of the interview. We talked a little about like his family life and everything. The dude's great. Like he's, he's a really awesome dude. So I'm totally dug meeting him and talking to him. He's, I think he's great. I'm really glad he got out to the Denver show. Um, wish the guy great things in life because he's awesome. So see you from there. Um, what'd you learn today, Josh? Learned that you like to ruin my research and fun. That's why you're a Dementor. <laughs> I'm all right. I can't even talk about my research because it'll, that'll give away the giveaway. So. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, that's a, that, that's a thing. <laughs> uh, what I learned today? Mm, I don't know. Do you know? I don't feel, I don't feel like you, you're, much of a learner anymore. I feel like your sponge is, uh, it's, it's tapped out, man. It's dripping. It's dripping with info. Like it doesn't have any more suction in it. That's probably true. Probably. Like you, you know, like when you like spill a glass of water on the counter and you wipe out the sponge, but like it just can't pick up any more water. There you go. That's where you're at. Stupid. You're maxed out. Stupid. Well, with my leaky sponge, mm-hmm. um, do you have any books to watch, Josh? Mm. Is that Usagi book for sure? I'm still reading the crap out of Green Lantern. Um, I like Young Justice a lot. Um, I'm really liking... I'm behind, but I want to catch up on all the Guardian stuff. It seems like there's something huge going on there. And we... A bunch of the other books that we talked about before we did this episode, like we talked about maybe doing a whole second episode just to talk about those, because there's a big thing going on there, and it's really interesting. And it's kind of flying on the radar because of the whole War of Realms thing. Like, it's a whole separate event that has nothing to do with that, and it's all in Marvel. So it's like kind of like, I think it's going to go under the radar, and there's going to be a bunch of books in there that people are going to miss out on and be pissed that they missed out on them because it got overshadowed by overshadowed by a bigger event. So if you're listening to this, maybe go pick some of those up. Yeah. The, the first six issues have been great at Guardians, and it's, 
It's Donny Cates writing it, and like he's just so freaking popular right now. And that Silver Surfer Black book. Yeah, that too. It's gonna. I think it's gonna be huge. I think it's gonna be a big deal. So it, it definitely does have. It has the. Uh, it has the ability to, and like it's the same guy writing. It's still Donny Cates. So like his popularity in general. I mean, he's doing Venom right now. They're gonna have the symbiote uh, carnage, the absolute carnage happening with him. Um, Guardians is him. He, before all that, he wrote uh, God Country, Baby Teeth. Uh, he wrote Thanos for a little while. He Cosmic Ghost Rider, the creator of that. So like the dudes everywhere right now, and he's just so popular. Uh, but yeah, like War of the Realms is a really really good and huge thing too. But I, I feel what you're saying. Like it seems like maybe that's been just such a big thing that the other parts getting overlooked a little bit, and it shouldn't be because it's awesome. But yeah, I I would say definitely try if you if you haven't got on this Silver Surfer yet. If your story's still first cop, first prints, pick them up, because it's already going on the third print. And if you see second prints, awesome. pick those up, too, because they were underprinted as well. Yeah, they were, like, way underprinted. So, yeah, if you see those, pick them up, because if you're a speculator, that's that's where it's at right this second. Um, any other thing, anything else? Not really, man. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I would, I'm going to give a couple suggestions, too. We've got a new series that they're getting ready to wrap up and finish Black Science, which um, Black Science is Mateo Scalera art-wise, and he's awesome. Um, if you listen to the show, then you've heard an interview with him. If you haven't, go back and find it because he's awesome. Uh, he's an Italian artist. guy's great. Super fun dude. Uh, he's getting ready to be doing a miniseries with uh, Mark Millar that's uh, going to be a Millar miniseries because that's what he does. Um, but I think that thing will be great. Um, there's a book coming out from Image called Sea of Stars, which I think that'll be really cool too. And we still have a few months before it comes out, but it should be awesome. Um, we just started putting in orders for Marvel's 1000 issue, and I'll, I'll give you, it's a little, uh, it's a little jump the gunny with, I mean, DC did the 1000 Batman, and they did a 1000 action, not Batman, sorry, Detective. And they did the 1000 action. So Marvel 1000, yeah, it's kind of a gimmick. But the story inside, like the write-up for it, I'm more interested now than I was when they originally pitched it. Because it's talking about some mystery that's supposedly been in the Marvel Universe since Marvel Comics number one. Which, I mean, that came out like, I don't know, 60 years ago. So, unless you read a reprint, chances are you haven't read it. But the idea there's this hidden mystery I think is really cool. Plus they're doing a lot of covers. It's a giant, it's a really big book, and I want to say 90 pages. And a bunch of the covers are orderable, so... Uh, Google it if you see one you like. Let your retailer know because a lot of them you can order. Like, grand, there's still one one hundreds and some stupid number ones, but there's a whole bunch of them that are orderable. So I think that's really cool. Um, shoot, there's another one from Image, uh, Reaver, which I think looks really neat. Um, I can't remember who's doing it, but uh, I thought that looked freaking awesome. So I'm pretty stoked about that. And we're getting a uh, Invisible Woman series too, and. Fantastic Four, generally speaking, not normal, my normal bag. Like, I've liked what they've been doing with the new series a lot, but, uh, we haven't had a regular, like, series, like a mini series for her in a while, so I think that's really cool. So, I mean, there's that, I guess. Um, yeah, I think that's it. I don't think I have anything else in my head. Because the sponge thing. Exactly. Told you. It's uh, not true. You're mad about it, but it's true. So not true. So not true. It does leak out my ears occasionally, though, so there's that. Uh, well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, if you don't uh, follow us on Podomatic, go ahead and do that, because that'd be nice. Um, 
Uh, Josh and I have another podcast we do, the Never Been Done podcast, so if you like it a little more raw, give that a listen. Uh, you can find it on Podomatic, or you can find both shows on the Top5ComicsPodcast.com. Top Com- That's right, Top5ComicsPodcast.com. Both shows are inside the uh, page itself, so you can find us both on there. Uh, you can find Rob's video game channel, Ant-Man Gaming, uh, Ant-Man 2050 Gaming. So any of that stuff you can find in there. Um, but we appreciate follows on our podcasts, um, whether it be either or, uh, iTunes, whatnot. So, uh, yeah, I guess that's it. So, uh, thanks for traveling to Tiki. Who do you? It's a different thing. That actually, it kind of works. There is a bad guy that said that, I think. Game writer for life. Tiki.